Good to see you guys. You guys uh, happy to be here? You happy to be here? All right, good. Three, three people right here are, and that's good. Hey, it's early in the morning. Listen, I want to uh, say good morning also, and thanks for uh, being a part to those of you who are online right now. I know uh, when I'm away, uh, I always watch online, and we're glad that you guys do too. And uh, go into the chat room, let us know what you're thinking this morning. And I want to welcome those of you who are uh, joining us from an off-site campus or maybe one of the venues here at the Long Point uh, campus. We're glad that you are here. I don't know if you just, the update was so exciting. We're having a groundbreaking uh, in June, and we want all of you guys, everybody, to be a part of that. We had set a goal of uh, raising $4 million by March 31st in the uh, uh, kind of the not, not good news is that we didn't make it by March 31st. The good news is, what is it, May 15th? We've made it by now. We have $4 million, and uh, you guys have been generous. And, uh, and so we're going to break ground, and it's going to be creative, exciting, and it's going to be on a first Wednesday. And just thank you for your faithfulness in giving, really, in, in, in uh, supporting what God uh, is, is doing here. And so I uh, w- want you to be a part of that. That's my personal invitation to you. You may get some invitations in the mail. I don't know. But personal invitation to you is I want you to be here. I want you to be a part of it. So how many of you, here's my question for the day. How many of you have ever had a bad day? Anybody ever had a bad day? Come on, let's be honest. Have you had a bad day? Okay. Uh, how about this week? Anybody have a bad day this week? All right, let's get real transparent. How many of you have already had a bad day today? Okay, all right, all right. Some of you are having a bad hair day. I can see that. So, so I'll just bet that your bad day wasn't as bad as some of these. I want you to look at that. Do you remember that day when you were going to create mood and you put your candle too close to your laptop? Yeah, that was a bad day. How do you know that? How about the day that you were standing too close to a tree and a porcupine fell out? right on your head. How many of you know that's an unlucky bad day? How about this one? That is really, oh, that's really a bad day, isn't it? Yeah. How about this one? I like this one. Yeah, steps in a a paint in a brand new, that's a bad day. Uh, This one's my favorite. Olive oil used to extract naked man stuck in washing machine. I have a couple of questions about that. Not only is that a bad day, but what are you doing naked in a washing machine? In fact, the policeman that was there said, my advice would be for people not to climb into appliances. That's good advice. How about this one? Uh, The most dangerous selfie ever. Can you see this? She's got a selfie baseball. Yeah, that's not, that is not a good good day. How many of you would agree? (laughs) Okay. (laughs) I thought those were a lot funnier than they were. Obviously. (laughs) What's next? There we go. All right. So, so what, what, what we're doing is we're in a series called The Struggle is Real, and it's a short series. And this week we're hosting a mental health conference here at Seacoast Church. You say, well, why is the church hosting a mental health conference? That's a good question because churches haven't done that. This is one of the, the uh, probably three or four times it's ever been done uh, in the U.S. that we know of. But our faith <clears throat> is so closely connected to mental health. And oftentimes over the years, the mental health community and the church have been kind of at odds on things. We don't think it ought to be. Um, in fact, I believe that a good portion of especially the New Testament talks about mental health. Every time it ta- talks to you about how you ought to think, uh, then that's talking about mental health. And uh, I don't know if you would agree with me, but there is a battle going on right now for your mind. 
Every day of your life, there's a battle going on for your mind. Now, outside circumstances can contribute to a bad day. You know, there can be things that happen. We have loss in our life. We have, you know, disappointments, things that don't go our way. They can contribute to it. But, but what really creates a bad day is how we think about it. The Bible has a lot to say about that. In fact, today what I want to do is I want to study a character, one of my favorites, Paul, who wrote a good portion of the New Testament. And um, when he wrote the book of Philippians, which we're going to study a good section of chapter 1 of Philippians, uh, he had plenty of bad days. He had a lot of experience in it, and so I want to kind of learn from how, how he dealt with it. And it wasn't just a bad day for him. It was basically a bad four years. Um, the first Two years of that four-year span, he spent at a prison uh, in Caesarea when we went to Israel. Some of you went to Israel with us. We went to Caesarea. We saw where Paul was on trial, trumped up charges. But he spent two years in prison in Caesarea. Then he gets on a ship uh, to go to Rome, and the ship runs into a storm, and he's shipwrecked. And everybody should have died. They didn't, but they're shipwrecked on an island. And so they pull together some of the pieces of the ship to build a fire and a poisonous snake comes out of the fire and bites him on the hand. How you know that? That is contributing to a bad day. And so they get their act together. They uh, sail on to Rome. He spends two years in jail in Rome, which ultimately leads to his execution. And during that two years in Rome, he's 24-7 uh, chained to a guard. No privacy. You know, that's kind of his life. And then he's given his life for the church. And what we're going to read is that during his time in Rome, he finds out that there are leaders in the church and, ma and many people in the church uh, that, um, that turn on him. A have you ever noticed sometimes Christians are mean? I, I got into this because I love sheep, and then I found out there were sheep that, that bite. And uh, some over the years have had a taste for shepherd, you know, the kind of rabbit. And and so, and so that happens, and Paul has it. Now, we don't have a lot of that here at Seacoast. Uh, we have a bad-tasting shepherd. I, I guess I don't know, but, uh, but for Paul, church people had turned on him, and yet, and yet, in Philippians uh, chapter 1 and verse 18, he says, I will rejoice, and will continue to rejoice. He's having a bad four years, bad days, every day. You could label them like that. And he said, you know what, I'm, I'm going to rejoice, and I'm going to continue to rejoice. And I, I think we can learn from somebody like that. Do you agree? And so I want to learn some principles on what, what's he thinking? You know, what, what's the secret sauce to joy in a bad day? And I've titled the message, How to Have a Really, Really Good Bad Day. Does that sound good? Because you're going to have bad days. You're just going to have them. They come and go. How to have a good one. If you're going to have them, you might as well have a good bad day. So let's take a look at three words that I think are kind of keys into Paul's perspective on how you handle a bad day, have good mental health in a bad day. Here's the first one. You got to get a bigger perspective. You got to get a bigger perspective. We all have problems. We all have challenges. We all have bad days. The problems aren't as important as I kind of alluded to earlier as how you look at them. Perspective is a key to maintaining joy, okay? So what is perspective? Let me give you a definition. Perspective is knowing what really matters. Knowing what, it's just, it's just some things matter, some things don't. Some things matter a little bit, some things matter a lot, 
What we've got to do is we've got to figure out what's the big picture, what, what is the, it, it's seeing what really matters. There's an old story about a, uh, a traveler who was walking down a road and uh, he uh, goes by a rock quarry or actually go, comes to a rock quarry and there are three guys in there. It's hard work. They're chipping out these great big blocks. And, and uh, so he goes and he asks them, what are they doing? First guy says, well, I'm making a block out of this rock. It's hard work. So he goes to the second guy. He says, what are you doing? He says, well, I'm making a block and I, and I want to make it square. I want to make it where it really fits. The angles are, are right because so, it's going to be a part of a wall. And he goes to the third guy and he says, what are you doing? And he says, I'm building a cathedral for the glory of God. Okay. They're all doing the same thing. They just have a little different perspective. And what, what I would say is that you and I could benefit from having a little bit of cathedral building uh, mentality. Would you agree? Uh, regardless of what you're doing, there's got to be a bigger picture, a better perspective, because it can give meaning to the seemingly uh, trivial. And so, how, what's that got to do with Paul? So he's, he's in this four-year stretch People are betraying him. There's physical things going on. He's ultimately going to give his life, although he probably doesn't know it at this point, but it doesn't happen very long after he writes this book. What's, what's the key to his perspective? Let's take a look and let's see what he says. So Philippians chapter 1 and verse 12, let's read it out loud. You do that? I want you to know. All right, when, when we read out loud, I'm going to let you read. I'm saving my voice. I'm preaching 12 times this week in four different locations, okay? So you pray for me if you think about me this week. It's going to be a challenging week. It's what I do. I love speaking. It just happens that there's a lot of it this week. So what, what is his perspective? He says, I want you to know that everything that's happened to me here has helped to what? Spread the good news. Okay, this is important. This is really important for your bad day. Here's his perspective. It's a gospel perspective. He says, I see my, my story. We all have a story. And he says, I see my story in a bigger story. There's a, there's a bigger thing here than what's going on in my own circumstances. There's a, there's a gospel perspective. Although my situation is not ideal, and if you look at him, it'd be easy to complain. How do you know that you can put up with about anything if you can complain about it? But he doesn't. He doesn't. He says, no, there's a... He sees his life in a bigger picture. It's the gospel. What, what is the gospel? The gospel is simply this. A loving God is redeeming mankind from the consequences of sin. And Jesus came as a sacrifice for sin, and anybody that believes on him will have eternal life and live forever with God. That's the gospel. We believe the gospel here. And Paul says... That everything that's happened to me is okay because it's, it furthers the gospel or the good news. The big picture is the gospel, not his living conditions. Now, we see the same thing in bad days for other people. In the Old Testament, remember the story of Joseph? How many of you remember Joseph? You know, when you're a kid, you probably heard that story. It's a kid that's, that, you know, he's about the, I don't know, 11th or 12th brother and he's, He's, he's the youngest one when he was born, and he's kind of dad's favorite. And dad doesn't treat him wisely, and the older kids kind of get jealous of him, and, he, and dad makes him a coat of many colors. It, a lot of bling, looking good in that whole thing. And 
he thinks it looks great. And his brothers are just, that's another example of dad liking him better. If you have kids, have you ever heard your kids say that? You, my, my kids, I, I hate to say this, but growing up, my kids would say, you like him better. And we would go, yes, you're right. We do, and that's why we treat him differently. We just, that's why my kids are warped. But anyway, so Joseph has this dream of being a leader, right? And it, the first leadership that he's going to do is in his own family. He's going to lead his brothers. He's excited. He unwisely tells his brothers his dream. And they take him captive, uh, make up this story to his dad that he's killed by an animal. They throw him in a pit, and pretty soon some, some people come by, and he's sold into slavery in Egypt. And not only is he sold into slavery, but ultimately he's thrown into prison for a rape he didn't commit, for crimes he didn't do, and he's just kind of sitting there rotting in prison, and he, how do you think he's having a bad day? You know, I mean, a bad kind of couple of decades. He has a couple of bad decades. But ultimately, God uses it to raise him up to be the leader in the land, second in command under Pharaoh, and his brothers then, and I'm just kind of condensing the story, his, 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 there's a famine in the land, and, and the only one that can give out food is the government, and so they have to come to the government to get food, and who happens to be the one giving out the food was their brother, and they don't recognize him until he reveals who he is, and they're going, oh, and you put your own word in there. <laughs> this is going to be a bad day for them, right? Would you agree with that? And to that, Joseph says this. He says, as far as I'm concerned, God turned into good what you meant for evil. In other words, God turned a bad day, a bad couple of decades into something good. He brought me to the highest position I have today so I could save the lives of many people. So he, he sees his bad day in a bigger, bigger story. Bigger story. God has a big story here. There's another one. Uh, in the New Testament, you remember just before Jesus uh, is crucified, not too long before that, he has a little talk with his disciples and he says, guys, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to die. I'm, uh, they're they're going to kill me. And Peter steps up, and he says, not on my watch. I got your back. And Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I don't, it, it, Peter doesn't understand what he's saying, but here's what Jesus is saying. And he says, no, 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 no. This has to happen. This is, this, this is important to the story because my story is a part of a bigger story. It's a gospel story that God is redeeming people to himself. And so my temporary bad day is, is, necessary, is necessary for that, okay? So, it, uh, so, so, so here's, what, here's what Paul says. He goes on get, getting back to Philippians. He says, for everyone here, where's here? Here is where he's being held under house arrest, basically. Everyone here, including all the soldiers in the palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, many of the Christians here have gained confidence and become more bold in telling others about Christ. Don't you love his story? Is that how you communicate your bad day? You know, hey, I'm having a bad day, but can I tell you this? Everybody around me during this bad day is seeing Jesus. It's awesome. And people that know Jesus are really being encouraged because of what's going on in me. That's what he's saying. That's what he's saying. He's saying that, that he's putting his bad day in, in the context of a bigger, a, a, a bigger story. When I thought about that, 
I thought of another story that I read uh, in the, uh, on the news. I was going to say newspapers. I don't hardly read them anymore. I do everything online. But online, I read a story that you guys probably heard too in 2013. This guy got arrested. Anybody know who this guy is? Let me tell you who this guy is. This guy, uh, his name is Pastor Saeed Abedini. And he's an Iranian. He's an American citizen, Iranian, uh, who was arrested in Iran in 2014 for his faith. He was released just a few months ago as a part of the Iranian nuclear deal. Do you remember who I'm talking about now? That there was a big uproar. We prayed for him, prayed for him regularly. And the problem was he got arrested and tortured for his faith. He was beaten so severely in prison. He was put in the worst prison in Iran. He was beaten so severely that he spent two months in a hospital. And then <clears throat> at the end of his hospital stay, they beat him again before he went back to prison. And, and his, uh, those that were keeping him said, you can be released if you'll deny your faith. But instead of doing that, he used prison as an opportunity to share his faith rather than deny his faith. In fact, while he was still in prison, his wife wrote this. It says, I don't see him witnessing as an act of defiance, said his wife. Knowing Saeed's heart as a pastor, he's seeing people in such a dark place on death row for murders and rapes and just seeing people who are in prison and whose future is so dark. Knowing Saeed's heart, I know that his heart was to give them the hope that he's found in Christ that no one can take away even in prison. That's what his wife's saying about him. Here's what he said. He, he got a letter out while he's still there, and he said this. Because I want to serve God, I see all of these difficulties as golden opportunities and great doors to serve. Who does that sound like? Does that sound like the Apostle Paul? I remember praying for this guy thinking about how horrible it must have been, which it was, but his attitude, this isn't written after he got out. This is written while he's there. His attitude is, you know what? My story is a part of a bigger story. I'm here for a purpose. He says, uh, he wrote from prison last year, there are empty containers who are thirsty for a taste of the living water, and we can quench their thirst by giving them Jesus Christ. Isn't that amazing? And here's what happened to this guy. I mean, he was beaten, he was tortured, all this kind of stuff. They had to keep switching him from prison to prison because he kept leading people to Jesus. He led over 30 Muslim inmates to Jesus while he was in prison in Iran. In fact, finally, they had to put him in solitary confinement so he couldn't talk to anybody. You and I, we might have been complaining. He sees his circumstances in a bigger picture. In fact, I was reading about it and. Uh, some of the wives of the men that he was incarcerated with who were in his cell, they would see that their husbands, when they go visit their husbands, they said there was a strange kind of peace and joy that their husbands were exhibiting. And so they would ask them, what's wrong with you? And the husbands, afraid to tell their wives something because they knew they were being listened to, would say, go talk to this guy's wife. And they would go talk to his wife, and she would lead them to Christ. Is that not incredible? That's how to have a really, really good, bad, what, couple, three years. It's putting your story in the context of a, of a much, much bigger story. So what if we all did that? What if we all saw our lives as, uh, or our, our troubles or our bad day in the context of the gospel. What if we did that? What if everybody that's listening to me right now, every seacoaster, saw their lives this week in the context of the gospel? 
See, a lot of people, though, I, I talk to people all the time that kind of feel stuck. You know anybody like that? There are people here today, you feel stuck in a dead-end job. I don't know where this is going. I, in fact, I was talking to, to a young lady last night that felt that very, she said, are you talking to me? Felt that very same, I'm, I'm stuck in a job, there's a lid here, I can't go any further. I feel frustrated, they've had change of administration over and over and over again, I just feel stuck. Or some people feel stuck in, uh, in bad relationships, and I'm not telling you that if you're in an abusive relationship, you ought to stay there. I'm not saying that at all. But sometimes we feel like that, you know, that we're just, there's, there's nothing there, or we feel stuck in painful circumstances. You know, maybe you're not in jail, so if you have been, praise God, you're out now, and we're glad you're here. But maybe there's some painful circumstances that you find yourself in right now, which make for continuous bad days. And here's what here's what's happens. Here's what happens to your mental attitude when you, when you feel like you're stuck. First, you say, I'm stuck, and you're frustrated. Anybody ever been there? Just be honest. You're frustrated about your, your circumstances. You're frustrated. And then it kind of goes down. I hate being stuck. So now you're angry. I don't like that. I'm stuck, and I'm, I'm angry about it. Then it goes to this. I shouldn't be stuck. I don't deserve this. And oftentimes, we blame somebody else for it. We get bitter because we're, we're stuck. And then it goes to, I'm tired of being stuck. And that's where we get discouraged. And then finally it ends up with, I'll never get unstuck. And that's where we're depressed, okay? And uh, so, so what if you looked at stuck in light of the gospel? What if you looked at stuck in light of a, a bigger story and a bigger picture? And it would say, it, maybe you would ask a question or say, say it kind of like this. God actually knows I'm here. Did you know that it's real hard to surprise an omniscient God? Anybody ever, God's never had a day, oh, gee, I didn't realize you were there, my bad, you know. No, so you say, instead of telling yourself, I'm stuck, I'm stuck, I hate this, I'm depressed, whatever, you know what, God actually knows I'm here. In fact, maybe he has a redemptive purpose, and then maybe you go to the scripture, Proverbs 20 and verse 24, that says, the Lord directs our steps. Does anybody believe that? About five of us. Okay, right here. Yeah, good, good. Well, newsflash, God directs your steps. Even when you feel like your steps have led you to a stuck place, God directs our steps. So why try to understand everything along the way? That sounds like pretty good advice, doesn't it? Instead, instead of wasting time and energy on looking for a way out, assume that God has directed your steps. There's a lot of reasons for it. Why was Paul stuck? I don't know. God's God, I'm not. It might be God wanted him to slow down long enough to write a good portion of the New Testament. He's one of these guys who likes to travel, go, 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 preach the gospel, all this kind of stuff. And maybe God says, you know what, I want you to write. Well, I'll write tomorrow. No, you're going to write. You're going to write for the next four years. You're going to have plenty of time to write. Who knows? Who knows? I don't know. And maybe for you, God is saying, I want to slow you down right now. This is a season. I want to slow you down because I've got something significant that I want to birth through you. See? So... It's hard sometimes seeing the big picture. Would you agree with that? I was in London just uh, a few months ago. I was doing a, an art conference with pastors over there, and uh, we had part of a day before we caught a flight home. And one of the guys said, have you ever been to 
uh, Churchill's Bunkers right downtown. Anybody ever been in Churchill's Bunkers right downtown? It's really a cool kind of a deal, and especially if you're a World War II buff or anything like that, it's, <clears throat> it's where Winston Churchill went underground right downtown London in order to avoid the Nazi bombings. And, and it's the story of how Churchill really was a war hero, and he was the uh, prime minister of, um, of England and led them from just absolute impossible odds to uh, coming out on the winning edge. But in the bunker, you also see that Churchill's party, his political party, did poorly in the elections right near the end of World War II, and he was forced out as prime minister. Here's war hero, led them, you know, to just this great place, and now he's voted out. And he's personally hurt, and he felt as though his people had betrayed him. He just led him through a war, and his wife, Clementine, said to him, it may well be, listen to this, a blessing in disguise. To which Churchill replied, at the moment it seems quite effectively disguised. <laughs> Have you ever been there? <laughs> you may be. Right now, your circumstances may be a blessing in disguise, but it seems well hidden, okay? Very, very effectively, very effectively hidden. And sometimes it's like that. Maybe God wants to use your attitude in the middle of a bad day to impact those around you. Paul inspired a whole group. So, get a bigger perspective. All right, here's the second word. second word is focus. Now that we have the big picture, let's focus on what's important. Big picture, it's a part of a big story, my bad day, part of a big story. Now let's focus. Let's see where we need to focus. When things are tough, you need to know what's important, where to focus. You guys know that I like photography. You know, I post pictures on Instagram, Facebook, and all that kind of thing. Just enjoy taking pictures. And as a photographer, and I'm just a rank amateur, but have you ever taken a picture that you thought was going to be a good picture and there was something in the background that you didn't see at the time? You remember that? Like somebody's photobombing you or, you know, there's, there's you know, a trash can or whatever it happens to be. Well, as a photographer, first thing you've got to do is get the big picture, right? You've got to get the big picture. But the next thing you've got to do is get the focus right. Let me, we had, uh, we had a birthday party. The Surratts have birthday parties, it seems like, every week because there are so many of us and all this, but we had a birthday party uh, uh, Friday, I guess it was, for Ben, my son-in-law, and uh, so we were cooking out. So I thought I'd use that as a little illustration. Some of you are starting to get hungry right now. Here's two pictures of the same thing. This is a picture of a burger. Doesn't that look good? Oh, my God. I'm sorry for vegetarians, okay? God love you, but this was a good burger. This one right here was good. Looks great. The focus is right on it, right? Same picture right here. What's it focused on? The, who cares? Look at all the, look at all that. That's somebody else's food. That's what makes grilling taste good. You get a, a variety of things in your burger. All right? So, so this is focused on what matters. This is focused on the trivial. Okay? You need to think about that. You need to think about that. Um, it's easy to do that in life. You get your focus on the trivial. Most marriage arguments aren't about really big things. They're we're focused on the trivial. Would you agree with that? Arguments between roommates in college. I mean, I had one about whose eggs were whose eggs in the refrigerator when I was in college. So my roommate labeled his, his initials on all of his eggs. So I ate his eggs first. But anyway, so, so when, we, when we have a, 
relationship breakdown, relationship bad day. Some of you are going through that right now. You look great right now, but you've had a relationally bad day or bad week. And probably we've taken the focus off of what's important, and it's on something over here. It doesn't really matter, but it matters right now, and it makes the whole picture blurry. You know, most church splits are the results of important things that get blurred, and the trivial comes into focus. Have you ever been a part of a church split? That's terrible. I have. When I was going to a church one time, I, I thought, I'm never going to go back to church if Christians are that way toward one another. And it was the dumbest things that that church was focused on. Wasn't focused on the important. Let me tell you what we do at Seacoast, just so you'll know a little bit about who we are. At Seacoast, we focus on what unites us, not what doesn't, and what divides us. There are a lot of things that divide us. Did you know in this church we don't all vote the same way in the voting booth? Did you know that? There are people in this church that like Donald Trump. It, yeah, go, go figure, you know. I, I shouldn't have said that. That's, it's okay. It's fine. People like Hillary. It's great. But you know what? We don't focus on that. Because in the big picture, that's, that's really not, that's really not what, what's important. Here's what's important. Here's what's, and I could go through all kinds of things. There's, I mean, we could go through a whole laundry list of why churches split and people you know, go different directions. Here's what we do at Seacoast. At Seacoast, we focus on what unites us. And here they are. There's four of them. And we're laser focused on finding God, growing your faith, discovering your purpose, and making a difference. That's it. And so you say, well, why don't we get off into, well, there are people that do that, and that's important, but our laser focus is going to be on the big stuff, on the gospel, on the gospel, and not on some of the, the, other, the other things that take us off. So a bad day gets magnified when you focus on the trivial. Would you agree with that? So here's what Paul says. Let's look at Paul. Philippians 15, 1, 15 uh, through 17 says, some are preaching out of jealousy. Now, here he's talking about other Christians. The word has come back to him that there are some people that are really um, saying some bad stuff about him. What do you do when people say bad stuff about you? Do you focus on that? Let's see what he does. Some are preaching out of jealousy and rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. They preach because they love me, for they know the Lord brought me here to defend the good news. Those others do not have pure motives. As they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful to me. Here's what he's saying. He's saying that there are some Christians who are making his life hard. Some of them don't think that he's just all that good. In fact, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and 2, I don't have verses on it, but you go read it. There are people that say, you know, he's just not that good of a speaker. You know, we had Apollos as our last pastor, or he was, he was an a evangelist coming through or a special speaker. That guy was good. I mean, he was funny. He was great. He was just awesome. You know, Paul's just not all that good. Now, you're comparing the two, okay? And, and, and so some of them didn't like him. Some of them dismissed him because he was always ending up in jail. They're saying, you know what? If he was walking in faith, if he, if he was really God's servant, he wouldn't be in jail so much. And, and they dismiss him. Some people just don't like him. They just don't like him. They're, they're not motivated by love. They're motivated by a desire to harm Paul. Do you know what? There are going to be people in life that just don't like you. Do you know that? I, just Bad news, just for a minute. Everybody will not like you. And the higher up you go on the leadership ladder, the bigger the target on your back. 
You may have seen that at work. You may have seen it spiritually. There are some people that are jealous of you. They just don't like you. I, I remember back a few years ago when we were trying to expand our facilities here and the town turned us down, which God used uh, for his good to create multi-site, you know, and now that's blessing people all over the world. Uh, I can remember during the battle, a guy I didn't even know that served on town council here said to somebody else, you know what? I'm going to make it my mission in life to make Greg Surratt's life miserable. I thought, wow, that's really a high, you know, mission in life. I, I mean, I can make my own life miserable enough. I don't need help. I don't even know the guy. He did not even know the guy. And because of politics, he said, I'm going to make your life miserable. So how do you handle that? How do you handle that? How did Paul handle it? You choose what you're going to focus on. Look at the next verse. But whether or not their motives are pure, the fact remains that the message about Christ is being preached. So I rejoice and I will continue to rejoice. For I know that as you pray for me and as the Spirit of Jesus Christ helps me, this will all turn out for my deliverance. Rather than Paul going, hey, let's post on Facebook what he's saying so everybody will see it. Or, or let's, let's, let's get an ecclesiastical trial and let's just fry this guy. Now here's what he says. He says, you know what? Christ's being preached. Some people are preaching out of greed to get rich. Some people are preaching out of, you know, hatred toward me. They want to be more popular than me. So it doesn't matter. doesn't matter. I'm going to focus on, again, what is the focus? The gospel. A bigger picture. He focuses on the gospel. So if you're going to have a great, bad day, perspective, focus. Let me give you one more, and that's mission. Mission. Remember your mission. Remember your mission. Paul's old, he's tired, he's been in prison for four years, and he's ready to go to heaven. They've taken everything away from him, his money, his status, his freedom, friends, ministry, privacy. They've deprived him of everything except the one thing that they can't be taken away. What's that? His purpose in life. His purpose in life, his mission, his reason for living. And so here's what he says, next verse. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Now, what's he saying about that? What does that mean? It's not the suicidal ramblings of a tired, defeated old man. No, he just knows he's going to die someday. He's not afraid of it. Death is just on to better things for him. He says, no, I know I'm going to die, but while I'm here, I have a purpose in living. He says, what is my purpose for me to live is what? Okay, let's look at that. What do you put in the blank? Let's be honest. For you, right now, today, if somebody said to you, let's look at your whole life, everything you are, for me to live is my grandkids. That's good, but that's not sustaining, and they won't be young forever, and they'll probably be disappointments. I got 14 of them. <laughs> yeah. Okay. For me to live, what can we put in here? Some people say, for me to live is possessions. That's not wise. Anybody lose any money in the last downturn at all? Yeah, three people. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's all I'm going to say about that. For me to live is pleasure. 
That's not smart either. Pleasure's good. Except for if you're in sinful pleasure right now, can I give you a hint? This is the best it's ever going to get for you. It just goes downhill from there. And pleasure, what it takes to be happy changes. Would you agree with that? What made you happy yesterday isn't the same, so that's not a good one. How about power? Power changes. How about this one? Popularity. Wow. That one comes and goes. I got a text yesterday. Got another one this morning. Old friend of mine went to school together. He's back at my high school yesterday. His son has a basketball game at the school that we grew up in. Well, we thought we were pretty hot stuff back in the day. We were, you know, kind of a big deal, we felt like. And so I remember going back and visiting high school three years after I left. Three years. Nobody knew me. (laughs) The words of the great theologians. The eagles, they will never forget you till somebody new comes along. Popularity's not good. Prestige, you know, we dress and drive to impress. Somebody said, uh, we spend money we don't have on things that we don't need to impress people that we don't even like (laughs) and don't like us. That's not a good one to put in there. They can put anything in there. It just doesn't last. Christ is the only thing. He says, for me to live is Christ. See, Paul says, there's one goal. There's one goal. See, if possessions brought joy, those with the most would be the most joyful. I could give you study after study after study that says that's not true. Or if pleasure or popularity or power brought joy, those with the most of it would be happiest. And I I can give you all kind of studies because I love studies. I can bore you to death. Listen, I do morning encouragement. I'd love for you to be a part of that. Every morning, 9 o'clock on Facebook, Monday through Thursday, And I use a lot of my scientific studies that would bore the socks off of all of you who are here, but I make them interesting for 10 minutes. There's all kinds of studies on how none of that stuff. Now, you can have more money and be the most miserable. In fact, most of the people that have the most are the most miserable. I'm not saying money's bad. It's not. But if that's it for you, it's not going to last. Paul says one goal, one goal to live as Christ. I am focusing all of my energies on this one thing, forgetting what is behind, looking forward to what is ahead. I strain to reach the end of the race and receive the prize for which God, through Christ Jesus, is calling us heavenward. He says this, if I live, that means fruitful service for Christ. I really don't know which is better. I'm torn between the two desires. Sometimes I want to live, and sometimes I long to go and be with Christ. This isn't suicidal, guys. This is somebody who's living for Jesus that goes, I know I'm going to die someday, and I'm really looking forward to what's there. But he said, that would be far better for me, but it's better for you that I live. There's a clue right there in what his mission is and what your mission is. It's better for me. I am convinced of this, so I will continue with you so that you will grow and experience the joy of your faith. Then, when I return to you, you will have even more reason to boast about what Christ Jesus has done for me. Why aren't you dead yet? You ask yourself that? You know, I mean, why does God leave a Christian alive on the earth? Because there's so many good things in heaven. My friend Vern Jensen went to heaven last week guarantee you he's enjoying the greatness of God forever. 
There's so many good things. Why aren't you dead yet? Can I tell you what it's not for? God doesn't leave you alive to make more money. Money's okay, but that's not your primary purpose. It's not, it's not to experience more pleasure or popularity. Those are great things, but that's not why you're alive. You are alive for the same reason that Paul is. He says, I will continue with you so that you will grow and experience the joy of your faith. You are alive for the benefit of other people. If you're a believer, you're alive for the benefit of other people. Here's your purpose and mission in life. This is gold. You ought to pay a lot of money for this. I'm going to give it to you for free. Well, I'd like you to tithe and give to the Imagine Fund, but this is free. This is free. Worship God with your life. Everybody in here, here's how it plays out in a bad day. You're having a bad day. Can people see in your bad day Jesus? Can people see in your bad season that you're, that you're reflecting God? Can, he, can, can they see worship in your life in your bad day? To encourage other believers. That's why you're here. That's why I do an encouragement every morning. Part of that, I have, I have a gift of encouragement. But you're alive to encourage others. That's, that's your purpose. And the third thing is to share the good news. Share the good news. And when you base your life on those three things, then bad days just aren't as important. Problems aren't such a big deal. So what that things haven't worked out like I planned? I didn't think I was going to be here at this time in my life. Oh, oh, well. God has a purpose bigger than my problems. And gang, that's the road to true joy. Will you bow with me for prayer? Father, I thank you for your kingdom, your plan, for your purpose, for your word, for the example, the Apostle Paul, on how to have a really, really, really great bad day or bad month or bad season. And God, you know the reality of where we live right now. You know our hearts. You know our circumstances. And I know that I don't want to make light of what anybody's going through. But God, help us to get a bigger perspective, to focus on the right things, and to remember what our mission is. Help us to do that and to focus on those things in the next few minutes. May your kingdom come and your will be done. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.